0: This morning, Father, we thank you that you are so amazing. That uh, you have brought us together, that you have created us, that you have provided for us, you have you have saved us. For those who are saved, we thank you for all that, Father. We pray that you'll be glorified today by all that we do and say, and especially from the preaching of your word. We pray that it will bring you glory. And we pray that you be with us, especially be with me now as I speak, that I may speak clearly and truthfully from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. We are continuing to go through the series on uh, what we are calling the We Believe series on the Statement of Faith that we are looking at voting on in the very near future. Uh, the beginning pages of it is um, a number of different statements that the elders have gone through and and uh, provided in the document for the purpose of being able to address particular doctrines of Scripture. Uh, We do not mean it to take the place of Scripture. It is what we think Scripture says on a couple of those items that we are speaking on. And what we are wanting to do is go through this series so that we have an opportunity to um, address various doctrines that sometimes, especially when we preach through the Bible the way we do, eventually we would get to a lot of these topics and, and doctrines, but It comes in the time and in the sequence that it would happen to come whenever you get there. Uh, But we thought this was an appropriate time as we're discussing and rewriting the bylaws and statement of faith and looking at them to be able to uh, do some short sermons on uh, different doctrines. And that's what we have been working on for several weeks now, and it will go uh, for a number of weeks more. Um, My topics that I was to preach on today, or will be preaching on, is the church and its head, and uh, so I'm covering two sections. I actually um, also wanted to remind you, one, there's clean copies of the updated version on the foyer, uh, the copy you originally got a number of weeks ago. We have moved some items around and all changed a couple words from the feedback that we received. We did go through that feedback. We did make a number of changes. Uh, probably nothing major uh, besides moving a couple sections, uh, otherwise it was a word here, word there, different punctuation, just to make sure that we have a clean copy. So feel free to help yourself to that. I um, was debating on how to uh, do this sermon was getting kind of used to preaching on particular passages and sticking with that particular passage. This is more topical, which uh, uh, can tend to cause the speaker to try to cover too much information too quickly. I hope not to do that. I have gone through this and rewritten it four times in the last week. Uh, Hopefully it, it flows in a manner that makes sense to you. If it doesn't, I apologize ahead of time, and uh, you can also let me know that, and I will work on it for next time. But uh, I was going to tell you, don't tell me, but I actually do want to know <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're confused by it. I would rather know that than, than not know it, so. But um, next week, Bob will be uh, teaching on the second part of uh, part of the uh, section I'll be dealing with on the church's head and its leaders, so I hope you come to uh, to hear that. It will be on uh, church government or elders in particular. Um, growing up, I had the benefit of going to church pretty regularly. Uh, even as a kid, I remember many Sundays going to church and Wednesdays and other studies. Uh, that it was a, uh, a blessing that uh, God has done that in my life. So it's very natural for me to attend church services on Sunday and in many and in many different stages of my life. It was not unusual for me to be in church two, three times a week, and I think probably many of us over the years have have done that and have been involved in that, and that's, that's good. It's not that that is bad and not that the way we uh, do things here on particular schedules is good or bad, but, um, you know, it was not irregular for me to be at church on, a, on a, numerous times during the week for different events. I grew up in a rural region of Louisiana, and in the 60s, and other times, but since I started in the '60s, that's my reference point. In the '60s, I know I know some of you go back a lot further than that. <laughs> but in the '60s, there there were a few minority groups in the area, uh, primarily blacks. Uh, I don't even know if I recall an Asian uh, person until I was probably in the Navy. In, in the area I, I lived at, we had blacks. We had a few. Uh, people with Hispanic names and Hispanic ancestry, but they were born and raised in Louisiana, so they were, uh, you know, I, I guess I didn't really look at them as being Hispanic because they were just like the rest of us, except their last name was different. But uh, there were uh, primarily blacks in our, our area as a minority group, and black kids would attend the same public school uh, with us, and, and with the exception of probably sports, it was not uh, unusual for the black kids and the white kids to congregate in their own groups and at recess and other times they would, you know, be with their their own friends and their own uh, people and in particular their their, uh, uh, particular race. And that's just the way it was. And, And I don't know that I even remember thinking that that was necessarily unusual except for that's how things were done. I do remember attending a particular Southern Baptist church, and it's not meant to be anything derogatory about a Southern Baptist church. It just happened it was a Southern Baptist church, where I, I had a close friend there. We went to school together. We lived very close to each other. And so we would see each other on a regular basis. I would go over to his house and see his uh, his family, his mom and dad, and we would uh, hang out a lot. And I was at his house one afternoon, and the conversation, I recall, from his dad turned to a rumor that there was a black family that might be coming to our church to worship. And he he responded, I guess, the, the only time I ever saw this, uh, very negatively, that... He even made it, uh, statements such as, you know, I, I, I won't worship in a church with a black family. I just won't go, if that's the case. He, he, and like I said, he was pretty upset about it. I asked him what difference did it make if the family came to our church, especially if, if they were Christians. I, mean, I, I thought that's what the church was all about, was to be able to come together and worship God together even though I, I was aware that there are black churches and there's white churches, and especially you get to the south and other places, and that's very, uh, very usual. But he stated that he wouldn't attend the church if the family came, and, and the fact that he, he, he wouldn't stay. And his response was one that I hear occasionally being used for other purposes, that, well, I will just stay home and, and have church at home. That, that's how I'll resolve that. I mean, it wasn't even the option of going to another church. He would just stay home. The only response that I recall making at the time was from Hebrews 10.25, 20, where it says, we are not to neglect to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it, I think that verse came to mind because the pastor had sort of spoke on it not too long before this. And then we're still having this conversation, and he seemed to be okay with not associating with a black family, even though they may attend the church and they might be believers. I remember going away not understanding why this was a big deal to him. And as I've grown to adulthood and spent many more years now under biblical teaching and preaching and studying, I know that there are many reasons besides the one I raise now, which would bring up the question for today of what is the church? What is the purpose of the church? Why are we here? What exactly are we supposed to be doing when we meet together as the writer of Hebrews reminds us to do? So I would like to try to cover some of that today. There's a writer, um, he wrote a book uh, entitled Christian Theology. His name is Millard Erickson. He defined the church this way, and I like this definition. That's why I am sharing it with you today. The whole body of those who through Christ's death have been savingly reconciled to God and have received new life. It includes all such persons, whether in heaven or on earth, While it is universal in nature, it finds expression in local groupings of believers which display the same qualities as does the body of Christ as a whole. When we wrote the statement of faith that we are presenting to you, we said this. We believe those who place their trust in Jesus Christ are immediately placed by the Holy Spirit into one united, universal church of which Christ is the head and leader. And that's what we believe Scripture teaches. One of the scriptural references that we provide for you in the document is 1 Corinthians 12:13, And it says, therefore, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And all were made to drink of one spirit. And that's what Paul is talking about in that text with the Holy Spirit directing him to write it this way. And especially if you know any history from the Middle East and through the early biblical times or early uh, uh, New Testament times and the time of Christ and the time of, of the church being founded, it was a big deal to be a Jew and not to be a Greek. Even though the Greeks meaning anybody not a Jew, Greeks basically were the majority of the world, it was a big deal to the Jews to be a Jew. And Paul is saying, it's not that big of a deal now. That if you're saved, that's what matters. If you're Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. If you're a slave or free, which in those days, you know, these terms and these, these pictures don't always mean that much to us because we haven't experienced slavery. We're, we we know what it sounded like in history. We hear, you know, what we read and what we may study. But we don't really fully understand how degrading it was to be a slave. And it isn't even meant to necessarily be a black man in slavery, as we typically think about. In the Middle East, they enslaved everybody. If they conquered a country, there was many people that were taken slaves. So it was... All races, it didn't matter. Male, female, children, adults, it didn't matter. But Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what your status is there. Another good reference would be Galatians 3.28, which says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, you have equal standing in God's kingdom as anybody else in the kingdom. The Bible teaches that every believer, regardless of race, sex, or status, is immediately placed by the Holy Spirit into the church. All believers become one with each other. Human distinctions lose their significance none is spiritually superior over the other none is ranked higher because of societal successes over the other none is superior because of sex god doesn't have favorites and he doesn't discriminate and praise the lord that he doesn't because otherwise we'd have a lot of people that we would know he would not be saving and reaching out to and converting And we are all placed into the household of God, which my understanding of that figure being used there is that means we're all related. And in reality, we are all related, right? It all started with Adam and Eve. We all started in the beginning. So all of us, regardless of our color, our religion, our race, our sex, we're all related, but when we're placed into the household of God by the Holy Spirit, once you're saved, it's even more of a relationship that be, should be involved. You're a child of God at that point. While it is important for us to attend church with each other, because we're told to gather together and to encourage each other, we need to understand the reason that this is even possible. We can get a pretty good idea of the significance of of the Church of Christ, by the way the Holy Spirit has written in the New Testament, uh, different ways of referring to her. The writers used different figures in their writings, different uh, names that they use that is intended to be speaking about the body of Christ, the Church. Some of those examples would be in 1 Corinthians 10.17 where it says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. What this illustrates in that passage is that we are unified, that there's unity, that it's a universal church, that is throughout the world. Uh, Some uh, in the Puritan days and earlier Uh, Back in the more Reformation days, they would use the word Catholic Church, but it was a little c. That was the same idea behind it. Not that we were part of the Catholic Church, but the Catholic being a universal church. And uh, that is the case. We are all part of the universal church of Christ. It illustrates growth and dependence of the church. That is using the term a body. Another name that you'll see the church use, we actually read today, is in Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9, where it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's the church of Christ. That's who he's talking about it was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's, That's people in the church. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That description of being a bride reveals the magnitude of Christ's intimate love for the church, and the church's exalted position. I mean, what what higher position can you have in a relationship than the bride? I mean, everybody, you know, <laughs> lifts up and exalts and rejoices with the bride, especially at a wedding. I'm frequently reminded that at weddings, that the wedding ceremony is really all about the bride. It's for the bride. The rest of us are just there for being there to make it better for her, I guess. But uh, in, in uh, another name, uh, a building. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're looked at as a building, a house. The church is called, um, sorry, I just lost my spot for a second here. a priesthood. Uh, A good example of of that being used is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The idea behind that is that you are presenting yourself as that living sacrifice, and that's what a priest did in those days when they did sacrifices. They would be the ones who carried them out, and we look at ourselves as a priesthood. Uh, A common name that you will be familiar with is a flock such as in John 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and carries nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So we're, we have been identified as a flock and as sheep. It emphasizes the, um, the members of the church as sheep that belong to Christ who are objects for whom he sacrificed his life and presently protects. That's the idea behind that relationship of being uh, a flock and Jesus being the good shepherd. Uh, another name is as branches. John 15 I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that I may bear more fruit. So we are looked at as branches. This describes the union and communion that exists in believers with Christ. And the last one that I wanted to share was a family or a household. We frequently say that, that we are part of the household of God or that we're the family of God, the children of God. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He adopts us and places us within his house, within his family. explains the nature of the relationship between believers, which is important for us to understand that relationship, again, that we're related to each other, especially if you're a believer. You're related to each other. We're all children of God. All of these pictures and passages show what the church is to Christ, how important it is to Christ. They illustrate the importance of the church to God and if the church is important to God should it not be important to us i mean if he looks at us with significance and involved with us as he is in the church one it some should be something that we try to understand better and the other is looking at the church through his eyes A lot of times we, I think, just attend church just because I'm a Christian and that's what we do on Sunday. You know, that's not how God looks at this church. God looks at this as a part of his son's body who is bringing together and glorifying him and is being built up and sanctified and cleansed and bringing the fellowship together. It's important to him. There's a few reasons why the church is important that I'll share with you. It's important because it costs God the blood of his own son to purchase it. It was a great cost for the church to be established. It's important because it is that which Christ loves. He nourishes it. He cherishes it, and he died for it. Christ gave his life. We, 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 we look at that as we do communion later on. And we partake of the bread and the, and the cup, symbolizing what Christ did, and the cost that it, it cost him for our salvation. It came at great cost. It is that which he shall one day present to himself blameless. There will be a day when he presents the church, his body, his bride, to himself, blameless. And that is accomplished. And the way he does that is by, the the way he works this is by through the washing of the word of God. This, This is one of the main ways that he presents us blameless someday. That he, 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 uh, uh, changes us and and, and builds us into people that we did not start out to be. In fact, do you know what makes a real church? It isn't just that a bunch of believers come together and start fellowshipping and they have a preacher in in the pulpit. that's, That's not a church in itself. A real church is one that is involved in the ongoing teaching and preaching of the Word of God. That's what's most important in the life of a local church. If a church is not doing that primarily, then you're wasting your time. If you should go somewhere else and look for a new church, that's what you should be looking for. Otherwise, you'll be wasting your time, and more, they'll be wasting your time. If it's just a social meeting place, you can do that at the Elks Club. And maybe other benefits there that would even be different than here. Like, I don't know. not sure what they do at the Elks Club. It is that which displays the wisdom of God to the angelic realm. Did you know that there is actually something that the angels can only know by observing? it take place with God interacting with his people. Angels never have experienced redemption. You ever thought of that? You know, we think sometimes that angels are these spiritual beings that know everything and they're everywhere and none of that is true. But, that you know, we have these pictures that we get in our heads. But angels have never experienced redemption and salvation. I I almost picture them, because remember there's a verse that talks about uh, the the rejoicing in heaven that takes place when one soul is saved. I kind of picture the angels sitting up there and kind of clearing a hole, looking down on the world, watching as things are going on. And someone is saved, and they look at it in wonder, in amazement. Because that's the only way they can try to understand it. And then they rejoice because of the salvation that took place. That's probably not really what happens, but it's kind of a neat little picture to put in my head. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 actually says, Tell, or it tells us that the gospel has been revealed to us through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit, and it is something that angels long to look. That's, uh that's where uh, we can get that understanding that they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't experience that. They don't, they don't know what that is with the exception of watching God's dealing with his children and with the world. So why is there a church on earth? What is the purpose of the church? Why do we exist here in this particular church building on N and 13th Streets in Fortuna? Ultimately, we are to glorify God. That is our purpose. That is the purpose of man, is to glorify God. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may in one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another passage that a little bit lengthier, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chooses us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him.